Come on, Matt, <laughs> Thank you, sir. And it's great to have you all here today. And it's a privilege sharing God's word with you again. We are going to continue, believe it or not, our look at Samson's life on Mother's Day. So we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 13, and we'll read from verse 15 to 25 this morning. And my prayer is that we'll finish this chapter this morning. Judges chapter 13, verse 15. Pages are still turning, people are still finding. Okay, <clears throat> Judges chapter 13, verse 15. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us attain thee, until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name, that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honour? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is a secret? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord, and the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass, when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar, and Manoah and his wife looked on it, and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die, because we have seen God. But his wife said unto him, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would, as at this time, have told us such things as these. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtael. Let's uh, bring these things to the Lord. Commit this time to him. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this time. We pray that you would teach us now your ways and your words. Lord, that you would use me to convey your truths to my brethren here is my desire. And I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. So, Lord, we thank you once again for your precious, precious word that you've preserved for us and for all time. The word even that you have placed above your own holy name. So we pray that we would indeed honour our Lord Jesus Christ now, and that we would remember the words that he has taught us. We thank you once again for this fellowship, for this church, for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, God has amazing ways of actually timing things. I don't know how many times we've actually um, um, finished the sermon with a hymn that someone else has chosen that perfectly matches the actual sermon. Or how many times things just seem to fall perfectly into place without even having put any effort into it. Now, most of you know I've been preaching through um, or preaching on the life of Samson the last, what, three weeks now, and I can't get through chapter one. I mean, that's typical for me anyway, that I can't get through a chapter in a, uh, in a reasonable amount of time. 
but there's been I've, it seems like I've been held up every time, and I haven't been able to finish the sermon. So each each time I'm I'm sort of recapping and then going through it. But I was in a bit of a quandary this week. Do I continue with Samson? Because my normal custom, my normal thing that I do is I shall preach a sermon on Mother's Day on mothers. But as I read through the passage again, and I was I was praying about which way I go with it, I realised there's my sermon actually in there. Because if you look at the main character in this particular passage, it's Manoah's wife. It's not Manoah. So for those of you who, who haven't been privy to the previous sermons, the, the, the first chapter of, um, of Samson's life, which begins at chap- Judges chapter 13, begins with God coming to visit Manoah's wife. It doesn't even give us Manoah's wife's name, right? But the main character in this whole chapter is her, and it's, it's essentially her. And today I thought to myself, well, God's given me the, the, um, the sermon, and it perfectly reflects what we are thinking about today, which is our mothers. So I'd like to, um, to honour our mothers, but in doing uh, the honouring to our mothers, I'm honouring the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm honouring God because at the end, he is the one that deserves all the praise and all of the glory. So I'd like to go through this passage this morning. And in doing that, I'd like to share with you some of the principles and some of the characteristics we see in a godly woman. And these shine forth pretty strongly through this particular woman here. Now, I've heard more than once in secular society and in some corrupted um, liberal churches out there that the Bible is a misogynist, misogynistic book. Okay, that word's been thrown around a fair bit recently. Um, that women are suppressed and that the Christian religion actually lifts up men and suppresses women. But you know something? The Bible has a lot more criticism of men than it does actually of women. If you read through the Bible and all the mistakes that are made, it actually amplifies all the stupid things that men do. But you often, when you read about the women in the Bible, it often lifts them up in terms of their faithfulness, in terms of even their, their, their smarts. And in this particular passage, the same thing happens. Manoah, who is the husband in the situation actually makes a couple of blunders. He, miss, he misinterprets things. And in the end, he ends up getting advice from his wife who clarifies things for him. So we're going to look at the characteristics of a godly woman as portrayed by this particular woman here. Let's recap the story to this point, though. So you'll notice we've read from verse 15. So I'm just going to recap verses 1 to 14 and just a few few lines, okay? So we have a situation where Manoah's wife is working in this field. So she's working it away as a normal... She probably would have done every day of her life. And a man comes towards her out of the blue and he says to her, I know you... (coughs) And I know you you're, don't have any children, and you probably want to have children, but I've got something to tell you. You will have a child, and you will have a male child. You'll have a boy, and he will be the deliverer of his people. So when she heard these things, and actually he told her more about that, he actually went and told her that she was to obey a certain set of rules because the child that she was going to have 
was going to be what was called a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite was a child that was dedicated to God from birth. Okay? And a child, you, he was never supposed to cut his hair for his entire life. He was never supposed to eat anything from a vine. So never was supposed to have during his whole life anything from the vine, such as wine, strong drink, or anything of that, that nature. He was not meant to go near and touch any dead people. This was a certain strict set of rules that only these particular people were meant to follow. So that when the angel came to this woman and said, you're going to have a son, and he's going to deliver his people because they are in a difficult situation at the moment. Okay? They were being attacked constantly by the Philistines around them. And, and, and the angel said, God's going to rescue his people again. Okay, because he saved them at the Exodus, and he was going to save them again, and he was going to use this particular child who would grow up into this man we call, well, we know who was Samson, and he said to the woman, "I'm going to, I'm giving you this news now, but while you're pregnant, you need to obey these strict set of rules. You aren't to eat anything from the vine, such as wine and strong drink. You are to abstain from eating these types of foods which are unclean." You need to obey very strictly the things I'm telling you. So the woman, probably with some excitement, returns back to her husband at home. And she explains everything the angel told her to her husband. Now the husband didn't say, well, you're a bit loopy. He didn't say anything along those lines. He said, and he prayed to God and said, God, if this is true, send him back again to us, that I might speak to him as well, because I want to know more about what he has to say about our son who's going to be born. So God answers his prayer. But he doesn't send the man back to Manoah, to the husband. He sends him once again back to the woman in the field. So as he sends him back again to the woman in the field, she goes back to her husband and says he's back. So... They both go back to this, what we know now is an angel, and they didn't know he was an angel. They just thought he was a man. And the husband asked this angel, what is it you want us to do? What's going to happen? And to her credit, everything she told her husband was exactly what the angel told him. He said, you're going to have a son. He's going to deliver his people. And while your wife is pregnant, she needs to obey these strict set of rules because he will one day be what's called a Nazarite. He will be dedicated to God. So the first thing I want us to understand about this woman, and there are, there are roughly five points that I'd like us to, to cover, and I'm going to cover the first two points with this, is that the woman kept the word of God and shared it. That's the first thing I want us to understand this morning, that the first characteristic of a godly woman is that she keeps the words of God and she shares them with the people around her and the people she loves especially. She listened carefully because what's interesting about this whole thing is that she conveyed to her husband exactly what the angel told her. So the angel delivered a message from heaven. And she conveyed to her husband exactly what that message was, which shows, one, a desire for the very words of God in her life. She thought each of those words and each of those instructions was very, very important, enough to remember it, 
committed to memory, and then share it faithfully with her husband. Wives and mothers, you should never underestimate what the Lord can do through you if you faithfully keep his words. Never underestimate it. Because as a result of her faithfulness, her husband's life was changed as well. She kept those words. And God can change the people around you and bless the people around you if you would commit your heart and your mind to keeping his words. Now, when we speak about the words of God now, we speak of the word of God, which we have every day of our lives. We have it in our hands. That's the same word that he's committed to us. So my challenge for you women is to keep the word of God as faithfully as this woman did. If you receive the word of God and keep it, you too can pass that word on to your children, your husband, your friends, your family, anyone else you come in contact with, and you can be a blessing to them as well. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, as we see Jesus repeat this very important principle. So John chapter 14, verse 23. Now listen to Jesus' words about keeping and how important it is to keep his words. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being it present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, isn't that an amazing scripture? Jesus was primarily speaking to his disciples here. And he was essentially saying to them, if you love me, the words I'm telling you now, treasure them and keep them. Commit them to your memory. But you know something? I know you're probably not going to be able to do it all properly anyway. So just be assured of this. That when I send the Holy Ghost to you, he will remind you of every word that I spoke. So that you will be able to faithfully record it down. But the same promise is made to us. And women, it's made to you. That if you would commit your life to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and you would keep them, then... You'll be a blessing to other people around you as well. Jesus simply teaches that if you really love him, if you truly love him, you will keep his words. But what does it mean to keep? I've I've spoken about this probably a couple of times now over the last few years. The word keep is a similar word to the word... Have you ever heard of a keep? It's a... A keep is like a castle, a fortress. Okay? So in the olden days, you had castles. A keep was a fortified castle. It would be a place that would, be, that would guard the people within it. Very difficult to break into. So when you think of the word keep, you'll probably do very well to think of a guarded or a fortified castle. So when Jesus says to us, 
keep my words. What he's saying is, protect them. Look after them. Treasure them enough that you would keep them protected in your life and preserved. So the challenge we have as Christians is to value the words enough that we would keep them in our hearts and protect them. Now, ladies, you probably understand a whole lot more than the men in your life about treasuring small things. Men probably don't have the same appreciation about protecting and treasuring and keeping small, valuable things. Women are... God gave us women because you are much better at detail than us. That's why we entrust you to keep a track of all the things in our lives. Men, you don't even know where your socks are, I'm sure of it. You rely on the women in your life to actually tell you where the socks are and where everything else is because they normally organise our lives. But what I'm challenging you this morning is, men and women, is when you think of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, Think of them as the highest treasure that God could ever give you and me. And the, the most important thing in our lives is, step one, to keep them in our hearts. To treasure them so highly. To think of them as, as so valuable that we commit them to memory and we commit them in our lives. Protect them. Keep them. And the next part of that equation is to share them. You don't keep the words of God in your life just to yourself to, to actually stop them from anyone else seeing them. But the idea of keeping those words in, in your heart is to actually share them with other people and be a blessing to them as well. So, women, one of the first things we notice in this particular woman is that whatever the angel told her, she committed it to memory, she treasured those words, and she was faithful enough to repeat those same words to her husband. And when he went to check on her and make sure that she did that properly, he found whatever she said to be true. One mark of a godly woman is the desire to keep the words of God so that those words might be a blessing to people around her. Now let's see Manoah put his foot in it a couple of times, shall we? Judges chapter 13, verse 15. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord. Now, he doesn't understand this is an angel. He thinks it's a man. Okay? He says, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that this was an angel, that he was an angel of the Lord. Now, Manoah was trying to be hospitable. Nothing wrong with that, is there? And this fellow came to him with good news. He probably thought that he was a prophet, some man of God who God had given a particular message to them. So he wanted the man to stay and said, listen, hang around. I want you to stay here because we want to give you a meal before you go. The angel basically said, no, I'm not going to eat your food. I can't eat your food. But... He, was probably, he probably had in mind a very similar incident that occurred to Abraham. Because Abraham was visited by three gentlemen while he was sitting in the front of his tent one day and these, this, and these were angels, so sorry, these were two angels and one of them actually, it said, was the Lord. 
Okay? They came to him in the form of three men. And when, when Abraham saw them, he says he bowed himself to the ground and he asked them to stay and eat. And they actually hung around and ate. So Manoah here was being hospitable. And you know something? There's a verse in Hebrews, which is a very interesting verse. And it's chapter 13, verse 2. And it says simply this. You don't need to, to, to go there. I'll read it out to you. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So it would seem that the, the job of angels, of being sent by heaven, by God himself, to the earth, in the form of men, hasn't stopped. It occurred a number of times in the Old Testament. It occurred in the New Testament as well. And according to Hebrews, it was still going on. So angels were still around and are probably are still around today in the form of men. So he tells us, be hospitable to people. Be hospitable to, to strangers. Because in doing so, there's a blessing that might come from it. You may be entertaining and being hospitable to an angel. So there's nothing wrong with being hospitable. The scriptures tell us to be hospitable. But Manoah didn't quite understand who was standing in front of him at this particular stage. He didn't quite know that this was an angel. So the angel points them to what he really wants them to do. And that is, he says, and if you offer a sacrifice, offer it to the Lord. So he, he basically plants an idea in their mind and says, this is what you probably should be doing. So then we go to the next section, verse 17. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name? That when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honour. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is a secret? That's a strange response, isn't it? He said, What's your name? So, so when the stuff you're telling us comes to pass, when the child is born, I want to let other people know about what you said to us and that it was you that told us this stuff. I want to honour you in that way. And the angel said, no, I'm not going to, my name's a secret. I can't tell you my name. Interesting response to that whole thing. Once again, Manoah means well. He wants to honour the person who, who delivered the actual message, but the angel has something else in mind. He doesn't want to be honoured by Manoah, neither with food, nor with good reports to other people. And when he asked the angel's name about the prophecy coming to pass, the angel said, it's not your business, really, my name. I want you to focus on God. See, Manoah was seeking to honour the messenger. But the angel's response each time was that the one he was to honour was God. You see, today we honour our mothers, right? But you know something? The one we should ultimately be honouring in all things is the Lord himself. Because he is the one who gives, as the Bible says, every good gift come, cometh from above. So our mothers, if they're a gift from heaven, have come from the Lord. And ultimately, when we, when we thank God for our mothers, we're honouring him for what he's given us. Now, 
Manoah made a mistake in actually offering food to this angel because he wasn't going to eat. And he made a mistake by actually saying to the angel, what's your name so that I might honour you? He actually missed the mark a couple of times. The second one was a bigger miss than the first one because he wanted to honour the man rather than God himself. And this has happened a number of times in Scripture as well. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17 where men have wanted to do something good but trying to do something good or good intentions doesn't always equal a good result. Having good intentions isn't always what God wants from us. Now, the first one we see who makes a similar mistake is the Apostle Peter. Okay, so we, know, we all know Peter. And he made a mistake, a flaw. There was a flaw in his thinking. And he, James and John, were brought up to a mountain. And this is the passage that describes what happened there. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Was Peter good at well-intentioned? Of course he was. He was well-intentioned. I mean, Moses and Elijah, and Elijah were both gone. They had departed a long time ago. So imagine seeing them both there with the Lord transfigured, talking with him. So Peter thought it would be a good idea to actually make three little tabernacles for them to honour each of them. And God says, uh, no, 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 no. You don't honour Moses and Elijah. This is my son. This is the one I want you to listen to. So did Peter make a mistake? Yeah, he made a mistake. He was well-intentioned, but he didn't get it right. Okay? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. We see John make a similar type of mistake. The Apostle John, now this is after Jesus is resurrected and actually ascends into heaven as well. John falls into a similar type of, of error, even though he was born again. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. And this is while he's writing the book of Revelation. He makes this mistake. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down and worshipped before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the, keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. What, did, what mistake did John make? He made the mistake of actually falling down in front of an angel 
the messenger of God. And, and the angel says, no, 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 I'm a servant just like you. Don't worship me, don't honour me. You need to honour one and worship one, and that's God. So Manoah made a similar mistake to the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John, in that he, his attention was diverted from worshipping and serving God to actually honouring the actual messenger whom God sent. So there is a clear message that we are to worship God and God alone. He should always be at the forefront of our devotion, our attention and our reverence. Peter, John and Manoah made similar mistakes in seeking to honour the messengers that God had sent and not the sender of the messenger himself. But the grace of God is a beautiful thing. The mercy of God is a beautiful thing. These weren't fatal errors. And one thing we do notice about these guys is that when God said, no, no, don't do it, or the angel said, don't do it, we find they immediately complied. They didn't insist on doing it, doing the same mistake or making the same mistake over and over again. And we know this of Manoah in this particular case because the angel allowed him to make the sacrifice himself. So look at verse 19 of Judges chapter, Judges chapter 13. It says, So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass, when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. Can you imagine? Okay, so he sacrificed an animal on a rock. And a flame is, is, is going up. So he's burning the actual sacrifice. And while they're standing back and watching what this man in front of them is doing, this man actually ascends in that flame. So he enters into the flame and he actually ascends, ascends and goes up into the actual air. Now they get so scared. And this is the, a typical response when people see angels and those sorts of things, is they fall on their faces. They are totally bewildered about what's going on. But I'm sure if we saw, ever saw something like that, you too would be a little bit shocked. It says that, the, that he did wondrously, and that that wondrously is ascending into heaven in that flame. The beautiful thing is that Manoah's wife was able to enjoy that experience as well with her husband. She was the one who the message was originally delivered to and she was never left out of the picture. She was always in that story and always there with her husband and she was privy to everything that God was about to do in their lives. She saw the glory of God because of her faithfulness. Verse 21 says, But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. Okay, so Manoah realised when this being disappeared. So when he went up and just disappeared, he realised all of a sudden, hey, that was an angel. It dawned on him who they had been speaking to. So then he responds in a certain way. Did he really understand what was going on? Maybe, maybe not. I don't think he still got it. So he was, one, amazed with what he saw. Probably they were both frightened by what they saw. But then he makes this interesting statement. He says to his wife in verse 22, And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die, because we have seen God. Now, a very intelligent statement, wouldn't you think? 
No. <laughs> Why would God be killing them if he, if, he, if he was about to do something wondrous through them? So, once again, Manoah seems to miss the mark. He comes close, but he misses it altogether. He concludes from his experience that they were both about to die. But it seems that his wife had a much better grasp of reality and the truth than he did. Because then she answers in a very intelligent way. Look at verse 23. It says, But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would, as at this time, would have told us such things as these. So she makes three important points all in a row to her husband. So he understands the reality of the situation. She says, since... Um, since God had not already killed them, but had accepted their sacrifice, why would he be killing them now, since they did something good? Okay. The second point, since God had sent them an angel which rose up into heaven in the flame of their sacrifice, he would not have shown them this wondrous thing and then killed them as well. Wouldn't make sense. And finally, she says, why would God tell us all this stuff? Why would God promise us to have a son that would deliver, that, that deliver the whole of Israel and that he'd be a Nazarite and then kill us? Manoah, what are you thinking? She was correct in all three counts. She was right. I and mean, she was right to explain it to her husband because he didn't quite click, her husband. So the other point I want us to understand about Manoah's wife is that she was able to understand things that Manoah, her husband, was not able to understand. He wasn't quite quick enough. She had insights that he did not have. And in this way, she was able to be a blessing to her husband. Wives, I don't want to ruin your whole um, perception of what reality is. But you may know things that your husband doesn't know. I know most of you are shocked. But there are things that you know that your husband may not have a clue about. And I want to destroy the whole wonderful and perfect image you have of your husband right now. But God has joined you to your husband because you are to be a blessing to him. Because you are meant to complement and finish him. And there are things, believe it or not, that he just does not see that you can. And you can be an amazing blessing to your husband simply by your perception and the gifts that God has given you. The woman in this story is godly. She saw things that were obvious to her, but they weren't actually obvious to her husband. So she was able to clarify something to her husband and ease his own fear which was not really a proper fear. It was more of a phobia that he was... It was, a, it was a, really a... Um, it wasn't a, a logical fear that he had. But she was able to help her husband understand something that he didn't quite know. So ladies, women, wives, mothers, you are able to be a blessing to your husbands, to your families, to your children, and to those people around you, because God will... If you're faithful, God will show you things that the other people around you may not know. And your job is to share that truth with the people around you. And you can be a blessing as well.
You see, Manol was headed down the wrong track with his deductions, and his wife was able to help him understand. What, and we know that she was correct about God, who did keep his promises to them, and they had a son called Samson. And he was blessed by the Lord and empowered by the Spirit of God to fulfill all the promises that he had made. Look at verse 24 and 25. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Estael. Finally, we see the fulfillment of the promise that God had made. So between, between these verses in verse 23... To verses 24 and 25, there was roughly a nine-month wait, let's say, roughly. And she bare a son. Which brings me to the final two points about this woman. For that prophecy to have come to pass, there is one thing that we can be sure about, is that she obeyed the commandments that God had given her. The angel at the beginning had said, you are to obey these commands that I'm giving you. They are very important. The fact that she had a son who then came to be the, the deliverer of those promises and that deliverer of his people meant that she faithfully obeyed the commandments that God had given her. She must have abstained, abstained from the fruit of the vine. She must have abstained from wine and strong drink and she didn't eat any unclean food during that time. In short, she was faithful. The mark of a godly woman is faithfulness. Being faithful means taking what the Lord has revealed to you in his word and to live by it, to obey the instructions and the precepts in it. A godly woman or a godly mother keeps the words of God in her heart and lives by them. The last point I would like to make about this godly woman and mother was that through keeping the word of God in her heart, by sharing the word of God with her husband, by offering counsel to her husband and remaining faithful and obedient to the words that she had received, she became a channel of blessing to the people around her. Not just to her husband because of her own faithfulness, but because of her obedience to the Lord, the child that she brought into this world blessed the whole of the Israelite nation. This is the calling of every woman and every man here who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. God wants to use us today to be a blessing to the world in which we live. We have been called to be channels of blessing for a world lost in absolute sin, who are living in darkness and don't see the truth. So if God has given us the light in his word, then he wants us to be the lights of the world. He wants us to live that light so that we might be a blessing to people around us who might see the light as well. We can fulfill this calling in our lives if we would simply follow her example, the example of this woman of God. In conclusion, we see the characteristics of a godly woman in these five points. This godly woman, or a godly woman, keeps the words of God in her heart. A godly woman shares the words of God with others. A godly woman is wise and is able to counsel others through the wisdom that she has gained through the word of God. A godly woman obeys the truth and is faithful. And finally, a godly woman 
can become a conduit of blessings for others around her. If this morning you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are saved this morning, then allow her to be a good example to you. Keep the words of God in your life. Share them. Live by them. Be a blessing to people around you. Do the things that God has called you to do. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today, if you're not sure about your salvation, if you, your, your sins have not been cleansed by his blood and you are not perfectly clean before him right now, understand there is hope for you. There is hope. But there is not unending hope. There is hope in one. And God has provided that hope in Jesus Christ. If you lack hope today, if your life is empty today, if you don't know what your future will be, then I'm here to tell you that you can know it. I'm here to share with you today that you can have hope which is heavenly, which is eternal, which cannot be thwarted. When God makes a promise, as he made to this couple, that they were going to have a child who would deliver the nation, you know something? God keeps his promises. There is not one promise that he has ever made that he does not keep. And he kept the promise that he made to mankind by sending his son to save us. By going to that cross, he paid my penalty on that cruel cross so that I don't have to bear the punishment that comes from being a lawbreaker. We know in this passage, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God had no intention to kill Manoah and his wife. He had no intention of doing it. He wanted to bless them. And there are some people who look at God and they say, oh, he's a killjoy. He's cruel. I can't, I can't worship a God like that. But I'm here to tell you that God does not want to judge you. Because he, he put his own son through that. So he doesn't need to judge you. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. Man Manoah made the mistake of thinking that God wanted to kill him. But God doesn't want to kill anyone. God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. And if anyone goes to hell, it's because of the simple choice they've made. To reject the gift that he was about to give. In his son. Second Peter chapter three verse nine says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. That means very patient towards to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." My challenge to you this morning is: if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, allow Manoah's wife to be an example in your life, both men and women. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today, God does not want you to perish. Don't. Choose life and choose it today. God bless you. Thank you.